Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back here to 560 WQAM, and welcome to the 9 o'clock hour. Greg Likens here with you on this Thursday night. Danny G, the sports bomber on the other side of the glass, as we're going to take you up another hour until 10 o'clock. That's when we'll turn things over to CBS Sports Radio. Had so much to talk about with Dolphins training camp opening up this morning. We've got Canes fall camp starting tomorrow night. You've got uh, all of the NFL action going on in terms of training camp arrivals across the National Football League. And uh, I've also been reading your text messages. 560-22 is how you reach us on the Kendall Toyota, West Kendall Toyota text line. Uh, okay, we'll get back to those in a moment. But I, I did want to tell this story because we ran out of time last segment. Just to give you the idea, an idea of how good some of these borderline NBA players are. So, you know, I, I play basketball. Uh, my dad played basketball uh, at Kent State University, and so he's always been a really good player. And uh, when he was, you know, out of college, you know, and this is in the 90s now, so, I mean, you know, he's uh, at this point, I'd say, I think in his 40s, and so still playing pickup basketball from time to time. One of his coworkers said, hey, there's there's this spot we can go where you can find some pickup games, and it was at, a, like, a gym nearby that, uh, you know, that I guess on, like, a – Tuesday or Thursday night or whatever it was, people would show up and play pickup basketball. So my dad, after work, took him up on the offer. Yeah, I'll go over there. And sure enough, they show up, and there is a current Chicago Bulls player, because we were living in Chicago at the time, playing pickup basketball at this gym. And the current basketball player was Dickie Simpkins. Dickie Simpkins was part of three NBA championship teams with the Chicago Chicago Michael Jordan Bulls, excuse me, um, and was a first round pick out of Providence, six foot nine, and is a guy that in the Chicago area during the time of the Bulls double three peats, he was kind of an afterthought and certainly a bit of a laughing stock, not because of anything personally with him, but. He rode the bench on those Michael Jordan Bulls teams. I, I feel like a laughing stock just because I remember Dickie Simpkins. Yeah, but like he wouldn't play. Like I was, I just looked up during the break. Like his career NBA statistics, he averaged four point two points per game. But with that being said, my dad shows up to play pickup basketball. My dad's six four. He's the tallest guy on his team. Dickie Simpkins is obviously the tallest guy on the other team, and my dad has to guard Dickie Simpkins. And so, you know, Dickie Simpkins at the time is a current NBA player. My dad is a working man in his 40s. And so, as my dad tells the story, my dad actually scored quite a few buckets because my dad can shoot, and he passed that down to me. But So he scored some buckets on him, you know, stayed on the outside. But Dickie Simpkins was known, he's 6'9", he's like a power forward, occasional like backup center. Like everybody saw Dickie Simpkins as a guy who played with his back to the basket, around the basket. 
My dad said Dickie Simpkins was pulling up from well beyond three-point range and knocking down jumpers with ease, like stuff you would never, ever even envision him doing in a Chicago Bulls uniform, and he was handling the ball. And so my dad had to guard him, and he said it was a long night for him to guard him. He said the only th- way that he actually kept his pride is that he scored some points on Dickie Simpkins. Uh, but Dickie Simpkins was like a superstar. And granted, it was against a bunch of guys showing up to play pickup ball, but it just goes to show you, really reinforce the point, that even the worst current NBA players are seismically better than you would even imagine. Because I played like pickup ball with guys who played even low-level college basketball, not even Division One college basketball. And these guys are phenomenal athletes and phenomenal basketball players. Yet, you know, it's funny. Like, the, the typical sports fan will show up to the bar to watch the game and they'll be like, oh, so-and-so is such garbage. He can't do this. He can't do that. Yeah, within the context of an NBA game, maybe that's true. Within the context of actual real life, that guy can run circles around anybody. So, anyway, it was it was a funny story because, like, Dickie Simpkins for years was kind of like, oh, yeah, the, the guy, the 15th guy on the Bulls bench, he's getting all these championship rings, didn't deserve them. And then my dad plays him in person. My dad's like, Dickie Simpkins is a superstar, whether he was or not. But, uh, anyway, so I mean, we bring that up. We're talking about, like, challenging these guys. Like, you're talking about Isaiah Thomas. Of, like, Isaiah Thomas is a Hall of Famer. Dickie Simpkins is the guy who, like, yeah, he played in the NBA – and he was phenomenal. So, anyway, it was uh, uh, kind of a funny story there. Uh, one of our texters letting us know that Joe Rose is uh, 62 years old. So, there you go. Uh, and, and so, we were kind of trying to figure out if he's like 60, 62 years old, Solana's like 25, right? So, like, you know, at a certain point, you'd think Solana would have an advantage, but he still got crushed by Joe Rose. Solana's just not an athlete, period. Whoa. That was no. I mean, that I mean, was Danny G. The sports in, in comparison to in comparison to Joe Rose. I'm sorry, well, I know yes. Joe Rose is 62 years old, but he was a professional athlete who yep. got paid. Got, I don't know if he got paid millions, but he got paid a lot of money to play football. And compared to that, Alexander Sol- Alexander Solana is basically me. <laughs> there you go. I like that. Uh, okay, our texter from earlier says, "Okay, that was for Zach Duarte. He's the tool." Sorry about Danny. I don't know why I keep wanting to call you Grant, but I will correct that. My bad, my bad. So there you go. We, we buried the hatchet there. Another texter says, Hey, Greg, my college football upset of the year will be your Orangeman over Clemson. Well, I'll say this. I hope you're right. Uh, they play Clemson in week three of the season. So it's an early matchup. It's at Syracuse. It's Syracuse. I'm seeing he's at the Carrier Dome this year, right? At the Dome. And so you remember two seasons ago at the Dome, Syracuse upset Clemson. Last year at Clemson, Syracuse took them down to the wire. And if Syracuse had won that game, Syracuse would have represented the ACC, uh, well, would have made the ACC championship game and played uh, representing the, what we got, the Coastal and the Atlantic, the Atlantic Division. They would have represented the ACC Atlantic Division in the ACC title game. Clemson never would have gotten to the BC, the BCS, the college football playoff, let alone won the national championship over Alabama. It's crazy. Listen, the game, the game that Syracuse played at Clemson was the game that uh, Trevor Lawrence was his first start after Kelly Bryant had left the program, and Trevor Lawrence got hurt during the middle of it. He came back, but it. I mean, I don't know what it is, but the Orangemen just seem to have their number. Yes, I still call them the Orangemen. I do too, and that's old old habits die hard. I I was actually while I was in school, they made that change. Nobody was in favor of that. Uh, of course not. It's you know 
who wants to be have your the team called the Orange? Just simply the Orange. That doesn't make sense. No, you're the Orange men. And the thing was, is the Orange men and the Orange women. It wasn't, you know. So yeah, I, I like I understand the political point behind yeah. it, but come on, throw you got that's that's one. Throw it out. It's the Orange men. I I'm with you on that. Um, okay, I want to read some more of these text messages. Uh, somebody here says. If Williams isn't named the Kings' starting quarterback and playing time seems remote, is it possible he'll play another position? Uh, I'll go a step further. If this is my gut feeling, some fans didn't like that I brought this up the other day, but hey, you know what? Like, too bad. If you hurt feelings, then I can't help you there. I get the feeling that if Jaron Williams does not win the starting job and it does not look like he's going to play, he's going to transfer. Because he almost transferred during the, the like winter break there after the bowl game. He was seemingly very close to transferring and decided to come back, I think because Manny Diaz you know, convinced him in some form or fashion. I don't know how it all played out. I don't, I don't want to pretend to know exactly what happened there, but if he was considering transferring them, then I would imagine that he may have uh, may consider a transfer if he doesn't get his opportunity to play as a starter with the Miami Hurricanes this year. But I don't see why anybody would even get mad at you. I don't even find that a controversial statement. It's more a statement of fact. I, I agree, but you know, you know how people are. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, I, I don't know about you. I don't know about you or other people out there. But I've made peace with the simple fact that one guy's going to be the starter, another guy's going to be the backup, and the third guy is probably going is probably going to be hitting the transfer portal. Right. And that's just the way it is. But I, but I also th- I'm with you. But I also think Williams seems like the most likely, considering he already was almost on his way out. Like Tate Martell's not going to transfer because he just transferred in. And Nikosi Perry, I suppose there's a possibility, but Jaron Williams seems like the most likely candidate to transfer, considering he came close already. Um, we got another text here that says, uh, "I said it from the beginning. We can see improvement without translating into wins. I think men- mentally, and from a discipline standpoint, we're going to be better." I think that's talking about the Dolphins. Same text says, "But going back to our long, drawn-out tanking and rebuilding argument, there are two guys out there in positions of need." Uh, that are still young enough and would improve this team, Alan Hearns and Mike Daniels. If the money is right and we sign neither, that will tell you the direction we're going. Well, Hearns was brought in today as uh, just to try out. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. Brian Flores acknowledged they brought him in to try out. And then Mike Daniels, I heard today that he visited because he was cut by the Packers. He's a 2017 Pro Bowler. He, he was brought into Cleveland. That was his first visit. With the Browns, so I haven't seen any word yet on if he's signed anywhere. But um, yeah, like if they sign, I don't necessarily think they have a need for Daniels. Alan Hurts would make sense. I, mean, I know Bryce uh, Butler's there, but they could use a veteran wide receiver. I know Preston Williams is a guy who played well during training camp, or excuse me, during the offseason workout program. But uh, you could make, I think, a, a bigger argument for Hurts, just knowing the injury history too with Devontae Parker and even Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant. Uh, they could use another uh, body there at wide receiver, to be sure. Um, another texture says, Greg, if we are to believe Flores, uh, oh, this is from Rick and Davey, if we are to believe Flores, Rudock is also in the mix for the quarterback job. Well, that's true. <laughs> if we are to believe him. But, like, let's all use our better judgment and say that we believe Brian Flores to a, to a certain degree, right? We'll go down that road with Brian Flores, but only – uh, to a certain extent. So, yeah, like I get it. He's going to preach that everybody has a chance and that everybody's competing at every single position. But guess what? He's going to say that and say it with a straight face, but he also is not going 
to have Xavier Howard compete for a job after signing the most lucrative contract ever for a cornerback in NFL history, right? So, like, Xavier Howard's out there and he's got to compete for his job? I don't think so. You're telling me also that Laramie Tunzel is going to be competing for his job? No. Like, there's a few guys we know that's not the case, but I understand your point there, Rick. Um, another texter here says, uh, Greg, Greg, tell your boy it's not Alexander, it's Alejandro Solana. Ha, 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 love y'all. Uh, yeah, well, that's funny. Like, Alex Solana. I don't even remember saying Alexander. I think you may have. I think I said Alex because I call him Alex sometimes. Right, even though he's now going by Alejandro. Alejandro, yeah. And I keep trying to say it right, you know, with the proper accent. Alejandro Solana. But you know, see, don't do that. I'm I'm still working on. It. I have to do it, man. My see, I don't see, I don't see. I, I'm Hispanic, and I just don't like it when people who do not have a Hispanic accent <laughs> try to speak a Hispanic accent. Well, here like, here's why. Like, here's, here's why I'm trying to do it, Danny, because my fiance is Colombian. So every time I'm with her family, I am doing my best to learn Spanish and working on my accent, and she gets me to work on the accent. So if I'm gonna say Alejandro Solana, you know, like that, you know, that sounds bad. Oh, you can't say it like that, but you can say Alejandro Solana. Alejandro Solana. Yeah. yeah Although when I'm with Solana, I like to say Alejandro Solana because that's what he does it. He overemphasizes. No, it. he does overemphasize it, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> okay. Like, like, okay. I'll give you a good example. Do you remember a couple of years ago when the Dolphins were playing the Jets on Monday night, and it was the big Latin Hispanic night? Yeah. Okay. And, and Ron Jaworski, Ron Jaworski keeps saying Sanchez, like Mark Sanchez. He goes, Mark Sanchez, and it's like, don't say Sanchez. <laughs> Stop that, Jaworski. Okay. I am Hispanic. I don't say Sanchez. Okay, it's Sanchez. No, nope. say it with nobody me says Sanchez. But Ron Jaworski did it all <laughs> night. Drove me up a wall. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Oh, Sanchez. Oh uh, yeah, just completely unnecessary. What a great pass from Mark Sanchez. Oh my oh, God, gosh, Jaworski. <laughs> that's funny. Leave it to Jaws, huh? Uh, you know, and I love Jaws. Jaws is one of my favorite guys. I used to love watching the what was the show on like Saturday morning, the Edge matchup. Yeah, I used to watch, love watch, watch that all the time. I love Jaws. One of the, my favorite analysts. But that night, I was just like, Jaws, would you just stop it? You're not John Heyman. <laughs> Even John uh, Heyman is bad at it. Oh my goodness, that's funny, Mark Sanchez. Um, okay, uh, you want to talk a little more Hurricanes football because we got uh, Hurricanes, Dolphins. Let's do it. Fall, fall camp, uh, of course, starting up tomorrow night. And so I mentioned that Susan Miller Dagan from the Miami Herald had written about the quarterback position. She has two other areas of concern for the Miami Hurricanes entering fall camp. We'll come back. I'll tell you what those are. We will debate the merits of how concerned you should be. We'll let you chime in on the text line, 560-22, 560-22. Also, we'll let uh, Danny uh, chime in as well. By the way, Danny, not Grant, not Hector, not Zach. Not Danny G- Not Danny GQ. Not GQ, yeah. like Don't be confused. Not not Danny GQ, not Danny Hollywood. <laughs> right? Like Danny G, the sports bomber. Sports bomber, there we go. We will, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back here on QAM. Radio.com.
Welcome back here to 560 WQAM. Greg Likens here with you as we continue on to this 9 o'clock hour. Danny G, the sports bomber on the other side of the glass. We'll be here with you for another 40 minutes or so, take you up until 10 o'clock. That's when we'll turn things over to CBS Sports Radio. As, uh, man, a lot going on with football here in town, officially being back. Dolphins opening up training camp this morning. Canes have their fall camp starting tomorrow night. Manny Diaz announcing via Twitter that uh, the tickets that were made available, and that you didn't have to buy them, but you had to you know kind of request them, much like you do for the Dolphins, uh, those are all gone. So the in-demand tickets to at least attend one practice for the Miami Hurricanes, uh, those are all gone, but it should be a festive environment out there. Under the lights, Green Tree practice field starting tomorrow night. It's going to be terrific. The new Miami will be out in full force. And so I mentioned before the break uh, that, uh, you know, in the Miami Herald, Susan Miller Dagnan had written, uh, has written an article in which she talks about her concerns and her delights for the upcoming hurricane season. And I mentioned before the quarterback position is one of her concerns. The other two positions she brings up, offensive line and linebacker depth. And I want to read you what she says about the offensive line. She says, This is a huge concern. The Canes haven't had a dominant offensive line in years, and they certainly had a substandard one during spring. The last time we saw this line in action during the spring game, the O-line helped contribute to a nine-sack day. Redshirt sophomore Corey Gaynor sustained a left knee injury early in spring, and 6'6", 345-pound junior Navon Donaldson, a 2017 freshman All-American and recently named candidate for the 2019 Outland Trophy, took over for him at center during spring practices. Donaldson, who has played guard and tackle, is an undeniable talent. His versatility is a plus, but there are only two other probable starters on the line. Six foot three, three hundred pound sophomore DJ Scaife, and hopefully a hopefully healthy gainer back at center. Scaife could play inside or outside, as he has done both. Surprise standout true freshman early enrollee Zion Nelson emerged as a difference maker in spring. He went from six five and two hundred thirty five pounds his senior year at Sumter High in South Carolina to 275 in late May. My goodness, gained 40 pounds? Jeez. Another hopeful standout is redshirt freshman Cleveland Reed, a nationally touted four-star guard when he came to UM from Fort Meade last year. There are several others too, e.g. Kai Leon Herbert, John Campbell, and Zelante Hillary. But UM needs to find a permanent lineup so these guys can build some chemistry when they protect the quarterback. All right. So I'll say this, that when you bring up the offensive line for the University of Miami, uh, you know, I've talked to Rashad Butler, a former UM offensive lineman and NFL offensive lineman about this, and he's concerned about that as well because, you know, you can make this argument for both the Dolphins and the Hurricanes that if the offensive line isn't good enough, then it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, I know that's they, they could be uh, you know, gloom and doom way to look at it, but you know you want your quarterback to have a chance, right? You want your quarterbacks to have a chance. If they don't have a chance, they don't have enough time back there, then certainly uh, you are doing yourself a disservice as an offense. But you know what's interesting about this is that wasn't it considered a foregone conclusion that Tommy Kennedy, when he decided he was going to transfer, it's a grad transfer because he played at Butler, um, big, you know, offensive tackle. Wasn't it a foregone conclusion that he was going to be a starter? Because it was like he was looking for a, a big-time program to play one year of football before he went off to the NFL because he was a, a standout on uh, on a lower level. But Tommy Kennedy isn't even in the conversation now. 
and we didn't hear his name brought up in spring either because the coaching staff was they were utilizing other players with the first team unit. But that was a guy that I remember when they got him to commit. It was like, oh, that's a big deal, and he's going to come in and help the offensive line immediately. Well, didn't I would assume something must have happened within the transfer portal then, because if he's not even going to play, well, I'm just saying they're not mentioning him because he's listed on the roster. So he's listed on the roster. Yeah, and he wasn't in the transfer portal like the same way some of these other guys were because he was a grad transfer, right? Kind of like KJ Osborne. Okay, okay. Where they, you know, just they have a year of eligibility remaining. And they're going to come in and play. And like KJ Osborne, amazingly, like that guy coming from Buffalo, where he was a very good player at Buffalo, but at, you know, at Buffalo, and you play with Tyree Jackson, who is a, what, a sixth or seventh round pick by the Buffalo Bills, not to be confused by the Buffalo Bulls college team. But, you know, so he played with a good quarterback, but he's come in and he has stepped up to the point where he was one of two players that Manny Diaz brought with him to the ACC media days. So K.J. Osborne and Shaq Quarterman were the two representatives as players from the University of Miami. Uh, but Tommy Kennedy, just for whatever reason, I don't know, he he has not made the same type of impression, at least up to this point. There's got to be a reason behind that. That's You know, that's when, that's, that's when we got to pull our good friend Joe Zagacki aside and see if he can maybe <laughs> give us a little insight on that one. Perhaps. Yeah, I'm looking at his bio here. 6'4", 294 pounds, Tommy Kennedy. Spent four seasons at Butler University, earning second-team All-Pioneer Football League honors in his final season. Started the final 22 games of his career at left tackle. Graduate transfer chose Miami over offers from Oklahoma, Texas, Boston College, Arizona State, and Arizona, among others. So it's not like Miami was the only one after this guy. So for a position which I agree with Susan is a concern, the offensive line, I'm just a bit curious as to why Tommy Kennedy isn't more in the mix, but uh, I'm sure there's a good explanation for it. Meanwhile, the other position of concern uh, from Susan is the linebacker depth. She says, we all know the strength of this team but we're not certain who is healthy enough to back them up at this point. Manny Diaz said last week that Bradley Jennings and Wayneman Steed have long-term injuries and won't participate at the start of fall camp. He also said redshirt freshman Patrick Joyner suffered a lower leg injury and will be limited. DeAndre Wilder with a neck injury did not play last season and is no longer on the roster. Four-star freshman Avery Huff has not yet enrolled, but is expected to, according to Diaz. Uh, meanwhile, her delights for this team coming into the season – Offensive skill positions, nearly the entire defense, those are her two delights. So, nearly the entire defense. Like, that's actually you're in a great position if you're talking about a position group or a side of the football if your concern is just the depth at one position. Like, I get it. Injuries happen. But, you know, we're talking about other teams across the country. If, you know, in college football, certainly in the NFL, where you're like, I don't know who's going to start. Like, you don't have enough quality players to start. Meanwhile... Miami Hurricanes at linebacker are so good. We know those those guys are really really good. You don't have the depth there, but like that's one of those is like that's a risk we were willing to take, yeah, right? Exactly. From Dumb and Dumber, it's like that's a risk we were willing to take because you'd rather have the top end starters and just go into the season and say hopefully you stay healthy as opposed to just having a bunch of guys like I don't know if any of these guys are any good. Yeah, no. I mean, listen. I, I was thinking I was talking about this with somebody the other day. When you consider the fact that the Hurricanes last year, what was their record last year? Seven and five? Seven and six. Seven and six. Finished seven and six, okay? After the bowl game, yeah. After the bowl game. They were ranked how high defensively last year? They were one of the top defenses in the entire country. Yes. Okay? 
their offense ranked so far beneath par that it's it's not even worth mentioning their numbers. I, I would know I would know when we went over when we had this conversation. I think it was with Kevin Rogers. We we actually went over the numbers, but they were ranked extremely low. Oh yeah, they were awful. They were awful. So if you can just get a level of competence from the quarterback position, from the offensive line, mm-hmm. and just get the ball in the skill players' hands, the University of Miami is going to be okay. Like her fears, her her fears on, on that list. What was what was the exact wording for it? Was her her was concerns? Her, her concerns on yeah. the list are genuine concerns, but to me, they're completely outweighed by the talent level on this team and what it did, at least on one side of the ball. And if we can get that kind of energy on this on the other side of the ball with a little bit of competence, like the Hurricanes are going to be just fine this year. Now, I don't think they're going to be in the college football playoffs, and I certainly don't think they're going to they can be, they can beat Clemson in the ACC championship game. But I truly believe winning the ACC Coastal is well within their grasp, and that should be the goal. I'm with you. That should be the goal. And you know, you said it earlier, Danny. I think you hit it on the head that. You know, the, the expectations, you know, you need to kind of make the slow progress, so to speak, and worry about winning that division first and foremost. But that should be... The Not just winning the division, but winning it consistently for like a Correct. couple of years. Correct. Yeah, doing that on a consistent basis. And, you know, we, I brought this up last night. We were talking about it, that the you know media projections have the Miami Hurricanes finishing behind Virginia in the division. And, you know, some Canes fans are upset about that. I heard some former players upset about that too. But then I, I bring up the fact that, you know, reinforcing your point, they have been picked to win the division the last three years and only won it once. So it's like, what does it matter if you're picked to win or not? The, the bottom line is, do you go out and actually win it? And do you win it with consistency? And they have not won it with consistency. They've only won it once and they haven't been able to sustain that. So, you know, that, that's got to be the goal. Uh, but uh, I'm with you. Like I, I think that the offensive line that that to me provides me with more concern than the depth at linebacker because at least you have the talent there at linebacker. And then when uh, Susan writes about the offensive skill positions, you're right, Danny. Get get the ball in the hands of these playmakers. She writes running backs DJ Dallas and Cameron Harris should be dominant with five-star sophomore Lorenzo Lingard making his return from major knee surgery. Tight ends Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory are can't miss talents and the receiving core is considerably gifted with graduate transfer KJ Osborne, junior Jeff Thomas, sophomore Brian Hightower, junior Mike Harley, and even gifted freshman Jeremiah Payton ready to fight for the ball. There's no reason Mark Pope, who was one of the top wideouts in the nation when he came to UM last season from Miami Southridge, shouldn't be a factor in 2019. Just hope that a formerly disgruntled Thomas who left the team late last season before returning is more settled this year. Yeah, they're skill position players. I mean, whoever wins that quarterback job, you know, you can talk all you want about the offensive line, but they have a, an abundance of talented targets and players to get the ball into their hands. I mean, this offense to, should be absolutely fun to watch, especially like, you know, much like I feel with the, the Dolphins uh, bringing up the fact that you've got, you know, Charles Harris needs to step up and all these players. Like, I'm so much more confident in the coaching that the Dolphins' defense is going to get. Same thing for the Miami Hurricanes' offense, right? So last year we can all dwell on the fact that Mark Richt was running the same plays he's run forever and that there was no creativity, there was no movement at the line of scrimmage. It was the same predictable you-know-what. And this year you feel like with Dan Enos it's going to be completely different, that there's going to be a, a very creative and inventive 
process to make things work. And so when you're you're reading about all the talent they have on that side of the ball, to top it off, it's like my goodness, like it it, it could be light years ahead of what we saw last season. And Danny, to your point, when you combine that with a, a defense that despite the fact they were on the field a ton last year, still one of the best defenses statistically in the country. And again, let's like push aside the bowl game performance because that was, I don't want to say if it's necessarily an aberration, but it was one of those where you can't make an excuse for it, but also wasn't indicative of how well they had played the entire year. You kind of felt like the entire team either wasn't prepared, gave up to a certain degree, it was a weird time because Manny Diaz, though he was still coaching, he was on his way out, and he'd already taken the Temple job, and Mark Rick clearly was had one foot out the door, whether we knew it or not. So, like, the whole vibe around the team was just off. So, in a way, like, you have to acknowledge it. You can utilize it to motivate you. But at the same time, I'm not going to, like, hold that against them necessarily when I look at what's going to come this year. Because over the course of the majority of that season, they were darn – darn good defense so I, I feel good about that group coming back and if you add some offensive fireworks that were missing last year this team has everything it needs to at least win the division I'll do I'll, I'll quote I'll quote the the well he's not he hasn't passed away yet you know they'll quote the great buddy Ryan when he was the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles and talking about Randall Cunningham and he had the great defense with Reggie White and the UM great Jerome Brown he told Randall Cunningham just give me three big plays a game that's all I need Three big plays, and we'll, and we'll, the defense will take care of it. Yeah, and you know, depending on how good your defense is, it could be as simple as that, right? And you break it down that way. It's like, all right, if you're you're calling the offensive plays, like, okay, yeah, I, I think we we can muster that. That that, does, that doesn't seem too unreasonable. Uh, I want to read a, a couple of texts here before I I also read the the description of the defense because the defense, man. As we're talking about, uh, one of our texters says, "At least we got the most badass punter in the history of college football." <laughs> I am looking forward to some decent special teams for a change. Which even even in 2017, when we had the season, it wasn't exactly great shakes there. Well, I I, I think you, you're right that you know special teams need to be improved, and it's hard not to have an improvement there. Consider especially with the specialists. Um, because that man, that was rough last year. But at the same time, I, I also say this: it is not often, maybe ever, that I've said that I'm looking forward to watching a punter. Right? Like it's just like that doesn't happen. Like you don't go no. into a football game saying, "Man, I hope our team punts." And like, cause you, you still don't say that, like unless you're Dave Wanstead or something. But like seriously, like you don't ever really say that. But in the case of the University of Miami. With their punter, like I think you're going to make an exception and say, you know what, ideally we're not punting, but since we have to punt, this is going to be more entertaining than I ever imagined it would be to have a punter trot out on the field to see what happens. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. I really am. He just, he just looks he just looks like one of those guys, you know, that, that any, everything he does is like entertaining. Like, like I kind of hope he doesn't get into like any off-field mess. You kind of expect him to, like a little bit. Like Lewis Headley is who we're referring to. Yeah, Lewis to. Headley. Yeah. Exactly. I couldn't remember his name, but he looks like the kind of guy that, yeah, 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 he, we, we, we hope he's not going to get into any off-field problems, but you know he's going to get into off-field problems, but they'll be cool off-field problems, <laughs> yeah. you know? He is all tatted up, I mean, all the way up to his neck, 
and all his old like old body, I think. And he's from Australia. The guy has the look of an absolute just just killer, right? I mean, he's going to be a South Beach beast. He is. Like you know, you're talking about a badass punter. That's exactly what he looks like. So I, I'm with the texture on that. I think that's a, a hilarious reference. And also, I, I, again, I think it's. It's perfect for like Miami and the swagger and everything. The punter looks like he can beat the crap out of one of your linebackers. <laughs> uh, another texture says, don't know if UM's offense is going to be any better this year, but I think it's going to be more exciting. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be difficult to not be better. I it mean, would be hard to be worse. Yeah, it was really bad last year. And so I think it'll combine with being better and also be more exciting uh, to be sure. Another texture says, Greg and Danny, missed most of the show tonight. Hope someone is making sure to put the podcast on the website. Love the show. Thanks. Hour number one and hour number two are up, and during the next break, hour number three will be going up. Danny's all over, man. He's uh, he's all over it. So the uh, the podcast will be up there. I've gotten a couple of tweets about that. So you just go to WQM.com. You can go to the on-demand portion of the uh, website. You can check out uh, all the hours of the show that will be posted uh, after the show is complete. So we appreciate your interest to be sure. Um, okay, we got a lot going on today. We've been talking about uh, the Canes and the Dolphins. Before I take a break, I do want to read, because I just mentioned this, that uh, this is what Susan wrote about the entire defense that she's excited about, one of her delights. This is Diaz's team now, and it has been Diaz's outstanding defense the past three seasons. No reason to think that will change. The starting linebackers, middleman Shaq Quarterman, weak side linebacker Michael Pinckney, and weak side backer striker Zach McLeod are a lethal combination. The defensive line will continue to roll in and out some top-notch talent, including ends John Garvin and Scott Patchen and promising redshirt freshman Greg Rousseau and youngster Jafari Harvey with tackles Nesta Jade Silvera, Pat Bethel, and Jonathan Ford among the run stoppers. UM had the nation's number four defense in 2018, including the number one pass defense with both starting safeties Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrick Redwine now in the NFL, Amari Carter and soon-to-arrive Southern Cal transfer Bubba Bolden a 2016 first-team Prade All-American, the Canes should work on refilling that void. The cornerbacks will be led by Thorpe Award candidate Trajan Bandy, with Al Blades Jr. and DJ Ivey vying for the other starting spot that was vacated by NFL-bound Michael Jackson. So, that should get everybody fired up, because that defense, despite the offense's issues, number four in the country last year and number one in pass defense. So, Plenty of reason to be absolutely excited for the upcoming season and the start of Kane's Fall Camp tomorrow night featuring Manny Diaz and the new Miami. All right, we're going to take a quick time. We'll come back. I want to reset a little of our conversation from earlier about the Miami Dolphins and what we saw in day one of training camp. Again, I will give the disclaimer now. I'll give it when we come back as well. Just one day of practice, but we do have some takeaways. We'll reset those when we come back here on QAM. Radio.com. Radio.com. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where 
That's been one of the themes tonight, right? Figuring out at least your name, Danny, right? With uh, some of our textures. But, uh, man, it's been a fun show. Final segment here on this Thursday night. Greg Likens with you. Danny G, the sports bomber on the other side of the glass. Playing the hits as uh, we have talked a lot of football, and rightfully so. It is that time of the year. And uh, for those who weren't tuning in to start the show, um, we've uh, you know we've gotten a lot of texts throughout the evening, 560-22, Kendall Toyota, West Kendall Toyota text line. One of our texters says, absolutely great show tonight. Thanks, you guys. Well, thank you. We appreciate you listening and making the time to tune in. It's a fun time of the year, certainly. But I wanted to reset a little bit of the Dolphins conversation, if you missed it earlier. So Dolphins training camp 2019 opened up this morning in Davie. You had four players not practicing, the four players that are on the physically unable to perform list, and TJ McDonald, Dwayne Allen, Mike Hall, and Cordray Tankersley. McDonald and Allen's injuries weren't revealed but aren't considered serious, which is good news. And, you know, Brian Flores, you heard this in the update earlier, has a message to Dolphins fans. Essentially, he says, support the Dolphins. You're going to have a tough, smart, disciplined team who works hard. We're going to fight to win every week. They'll support us if we do that, end quote. And I, I love what Brian Flores has done so far. And again, they haven't he hasn't coached a game, neither has Manny Diaz down at the University of Miami, so time will tell, you know, how they handle being in game coaches for the first time as the head men. But Flores has been steadfast in his public commentary that his team is gonna go out play hard to win. And when he says we're going to fight to win every week and the team that the fans will support us if we do that, I agree. Like, you know, it's going to be a strange year for Dolphins fans, right? Because looking at this roster, and if you do so with not, without too much bias and you, you're level-headed about it, it's going to be a long season. Like, this team isn't built to be very good in 2019. And so, you know, we can move away from the tanking conversation and, and fairly say they're rebuilding. And with that, you're not going to win very many football games. At least we don't think so. And so, with that being said, Flores has to create this balance between maintaining credibility in the locker room and I think with with the fans as well while also you know not completely just thrown in the towel like everybody else right like everybody on the outside's like yeah the dolphins aren't going to be very good but flores it's like hey this is the first time I, I I've worked my way my entire life and my professional career to get to the point where I could be a, a head coach in the National Football League, I'm not going to come in here and say we're not trying to win and we're building towards the future. We're going to come in and fight to win every week, and they'll support us if we do that. Well, if he sets the expectation level that they're going to fight to win every week, then that is what you hope you get from your players on a weekly basis. So that's that's a positive right there. The second thing, though, like if we can all take a step back and, and be – outside the range of what Brian Flores is actually dealing with and looking at this roster, you could say, well, that's great. They'll try hard, but they don't have enough talent to actually win, which will work in the sense that they'll still try hard. They'll still follow their coach's orders. You'll still see that they have a respect level there. But then if it comes down to it, the Dolphins will probably still be in great position to draft a quarterback next year if Josh Rosen doesn't work out. So it actually, for all involved, this makes a whole lot of sense. But I, I appreciate and respect what Flores is doing because nobody in their right mind, no matter how much you want the Dolphins to get Tua or how much you want the Dolphins to have the number one overall pick next year, no one in their right mind wants the head coach to start his tenure by 
publicly making it seem like, yeah, you know, the Dolphins don't stand much of a chance. I like that Flores is a fighter. I like the fact that he has set this tone at the outset. And even if they don't win a lot of games, I am expecting this Dolphins team to try hard to embody the personality of their coach. And the fact that they're going to be disciplined, they're going to play hard, they're going to fight, that, that's exactly what you would want for the upcoming season for the Miami Dolphins. Now, with that being said, if you didn't hear what was going on today, I do want to pass along some of the notes from the lineup uh, by the Dolphins today in terms of who was lining up where. Kalen Balaj opened as a starting running back ahead of Kenyon Drake and uh, looked pretty good. And so at this point, you, you thought that perhaps with a new coaching staff, a new lease on life for Kenyon Drake, you only got 10.8 offensive touches per game last season, which is ridiculously low for a guy who led your team in touchdowns with nine. Uh, he was able to overcome the lack of touches to still be such a productive member of that offense. And so, you know, I don't know if this is a sign of things to come where Balaj is going to be your starter and Drake's going to be the change of pace. Either way, like I don't care who starts, but I want to see Kenyon Drake be a larger part of the game plan offensively because you have a talent, no doubt about it. Uh, We also know that Chad O'Shea, the offensive coordinator, is coming from New England. He's a guy that has been in a system that they've used a lot of different running backs. And yes, they draft, say, a Sony Michelle out of American Heritage in Georgia as a first-round pick, and he has a great Super Bowl. But generally speaking, they use a bunch of different backs, and they use them as receivers. They have a fullback as well. The Patriots are an equal opportunity offense for the running back, to be sure, with multiple players carrying the load. So you'd imagine if that same philosophy applies, then it may not matter if Kenyon Drake is starting or not, but that they'll use him quite a bit. But... I also, like selfishly, just because I kind of like Kenyon Drake and we've seen what he's been able to do, hoping that you know he would get more of an opportunity to at least show that he could be an every-down back, uh, but uh, that may not be in the cards for him. Uh, of course, a quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, was starting. And the narrative that we heard from the offseason workout program was the same narrative we heard today. Fitzpatrick looks better than Josh Rosen. So plenty of time to go, just one day of practice. But that hasn't changed, and I think many people were hoping that perhaps that would change. Um, Bobby McCain, this started in the offseason. This has continued now. He lined up at safety today. Now, part of this was because T.J. McDonald, as I mentioned, is sidelined. Uh, But it was him lined up uh, uh, alongside Rashad Jones at the safety position. So I don't know how they're going to do this. They've got a lot of versatility in that secondary. But McCain playing safety, that wasn't the most interesting thing that occurred. In the secondary, the other part about this is that the Dolphins open up team drills with five DBs, Jones and McCain at safety, Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe at the boundary cornerback positions, and Minka Fitzpatrick in the slot. And then you had Jones at certain points playing the Sam linebacker position. So they're moving everybody around. Uh, and then I want to get back to talking about Minka Fitzpatrick in just a moment. But uh, the other big story here is that Raquan McMillan did not line up as a starter with the linebacking core, of course, he's a former second-round pick and you know, basically had a redshirt year because of that injury that he suffered in that first preseason game that he ever played in. Last year came back, and you know, he was, he's a good run defender in terms of being able to tackle, but uh, struggles as a pass uh, if he's defending the pass. Uh, but today we saw former CFL linebacker Sam Iguavin we're going to have to continue to work on that guy's name if he if he continues to Aguava? start. Aguavin. 
It's Sam Aguavin. Uh, so he opened with the linebackers uh, as starters there alongside Jerome Baker and, you know, Kiko Alonso's in the mix as well. Uh, so Raquan McMillan's status is something that we're going to be monitoring over the rest of training camp. But Aguavin, a name to know after the first day. Then Jonathan Woodard, not veteran Tank Carradine, open as the first-team defensive end opposite Charles Harris in a 4-3 scheme. You had Devon Godshaw and rookie Christian Wilkins opening as the starting defensive tackles, backed up by Akeem Spence and Vincent Taylor. And then you look at the offensive line, the starters went as such from left to right. Laramie Tunzel, left tackle. Left guard, Chris Reed. Center, Daniel Kilgore. Right guard, Jesse Davis. Right tackle, Jordan Mills. And those were your starters. So Michael Dieter, the rookie out of Wisconsin, not in that group, at least not yet. So we'll see what happens there. But getting back to the Mick Fitzpatrick situation for just a moment, uh, I, I found this really interesting because, you know, he's, of course, your first-round pick. He is one of your best defensive players, um, first-round pick from last year, I should say. And yet sometimes during the practice that took place today – he was not on the field. Like, he was just with the second unit. So the first unit's out there, and he's not playing. And it's like, in what world does this make any sense? And again, I don't want to overstate things. I don't want to overreact. But just in general, as a principle, Minka Fitzpatrick should be on the field as much as possible. He really should. So I don't know how this is going to develop. Maybe this is a, a day one thing, and tomorrow they're going to be working on other packages and all this other stuff. But – the point that I made earlier that I'll make again is that you could make some sort of justification for it if TJ McDonald was healthy. So if you had all of your comp, all of the pieces of the puzzle there in the secondary, but you have one of your key cogs out and make a Fitzpatrick still sitting out some of these first team opportunities. I don't know about that. That didn't sit well with me. And again, I, I am going to let the next few days play out in terms of what happens on the practice field, and we'll see if this development changes. But at least on the surface, uh, that I did not like that. So we got one Fitzpatrick on defense not playing enough. The other Fitzpatrick on offense who's playing more than I think everybody else wants because they want to see Josh Rosen instead. Uh, so the Fitzpatrick's dominating the headlines on day one of Dolphins training camp. I also think it's ironic that they're both on the same team after the loss, after after the trap was it the uh, there was a trademark that the was trademark filed. of Fitz Magic. Fitz Magic was trademarked yeah. by by Minka, right? But then it was dubbed to Ryan, and then there could have been a lawsuit involved, but Minka said no, it's okay. It took the high road, right? So and, and now they're in the same locker room. now in the same locker room, and, and we're arguing about which one should play more and which <laughs> one should play less, right? And my mind and my mind is just and my mind is turned to mush. This is what <laughs> this is what things have turned out to uh, so far in Dolphins training camp. Um, hey, that's going to do it for us. It's been a fun four hours. Man, the time went right by, didn't it? Flew by tonight, which uh, that, that means that football is back, right? Or at least one of the indications. Danny, thanks for all your help. Always fun to work with you. Thanks to all the texters who chimed in throughout the program. Always great to interact with everybody. Uh, I'll be back on tomorrow from 10 to 2. I'll be with Alex Donald tomorrow. Looking forward to that. Uh, and then I'll be on our sister station over the weekend. In the meantime, have a great Thursday night, everybody. Coming up next, CBS Sports Radio here on QAM. 
Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.